I hope you're all in a good mood. If you're not, you're gonna be in a good mood by the end of this message. Because here's why, I have it on good authority that the God of the universe is in this room. I'm sure you could sense it during worship. But at about 6.30 this morning, when I got on a bit of a hot streak alone with the Lord, it was kind of obvious this weekend is just gonna go down like Charlie Brown. Listen, let's just have some fun tonight. We're gonna talk about one of God's best friends, but I, I, I know I'm not putting all the one-liners, and if I was putting one-liners up for this message, there'd be like 40 one-liners in this message, but I'm not putting them up on the screen just because I'm in the process of writing the book and I don't want a bunch of people to steal it. So that, that's, that's the bottom line. But I do want you to try and write some things down or go back and watch it and hit the pause button because the, I'm, I'm gonna try and just read this whole message because I, I hate, one of the feelings I hate as a preacher is when God says something strongly to me privately, I hate forgetting a sentence of it when I get up to speak publicly. I hate it. So. I know I break the rule sometimes and I just read the message. It's because I, the, the, he just would get on a run of several one-liners in a row, turning it into a paragraph, and I just don't want, I can't memorize all this stuff, okay? I just can't. I, I, I have kids, all right? I, I, I can't, I, I, when I was younger, I would try and memorize the whole message. I just can't do that anymore, all right? So if you got a Bible, Genesis. Genesis, Genesis, I mean Exodus. I don't even know where I'm going right now. I'm so excited. Exodus 33, one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. If you're with us for the first time, uh, I don't usually talk this fast. I'm gonna have to slow myself down. I'm just incredibly excited because we're in a series entitled Friend of God. And we're gonna be in this series at least all of this year. At least, okay? Uh, and technically, we're gonna be in this series or talking about this subject until I'm done pastoring this church, Lord willing, many, 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 many years from now. Because I just feel like it's worth talking about every time we talk. That's, that's how I feel, okay? So in the middle of this series entitled Friend of God, we're in what I call a little eight-week mini-series on some of God's best friends. We're basically doing a week-by-week -week breakdown of some of God's best friends. And one of his best friends is a man named Moses. I wanna read you one verse because it shows you how God felt and feels about Moses. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11 says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Okay, I've told you this in, in previous messages, uh, as we've been talking about God's, some of God's best friends, when I read that verse as a little boy, I had this thought, if it's possible for Moses, then it's possible for me. Not because I think I'm on Moses' level, I was 13 the first time I read that passage, but simply because if he'll do it with one man, I just assume he's willing to do it with any man. And man being man and woman, ladies, <laughs> mankind. He spoke face to face with Moses as one speaks to a friend. Question, how many of us would like to be such best friends with the God of the universe that it's as though when we talk, he speaks to us face to face. 
Good news is the veil's been torn, so we're, we're more than halfway there. But, uh, and listen, uh, one of the reasons I've got to read so much of this message is because studying over the last two weeks for this message on Moses, you want to know how many points there were originally in this message? 21. I was like, I can't stay here all summer, Lord. So I got to whittle this down. Whittled it down to four, all right, so that we could really camp on a couple of the biggies. I'm not even doing their friendship justice, and I admit that from the onset, okay? But I do want to show you, like I am with some of his other friends, the principle of this little mini-series is you, you learn how to become friends with God by studying those who are friends with God. And anyone who in Scripture was a friend of God is still a friend of God. This friendship is eternal. It's ongoing. And we're going to see that later in the message with the gangster one-liner. Here's the first thing, because when we talk about this and when we get into the book and some people are going to get into it deep enough and go, well, people like Preston can have that kind of friendship with God, but not people like me, because people like me have done things people like Preston haven't done. Okay, that's garbage talk. And that's why, point number one, what Moses teaches us about friendship with God has to be this. God's friends are not perfect. None of God's human friends were ever perfect, save one, and we'll talk about him later, Jesus. But he is him. So that, that's kind of outside of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has no perfect friends, never has, never will. His friends aren't perfect. Now, I want to show you in Hebrews chapter 11, one verse, but uh, if you're in Exodus 33, go ahead and turn to Exodus 2, which kind of kicks off, the beginning of Exodus 2 kicks off Moses' life. Moses, born a Hebrew child, in a day and time where Pharaoh... Uh, Egypt was holding God's people as slaves, okay? And Pharaoh was threatened because they were growing in size and strength. So what Pharaoh did during the time when Moses was born is Pharaoh said, I have a plan. And he tells all of the midwives to the Hebrew women giving birth to babies, he says, listen, every male Hebrew child must be killed. Drown them in the Nile River. Okay, so this, this is the, the season of time where Moses was born. I want to read you one verse, all right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, tells us by faith, during this time, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. They could tell at birth he wasn't normal. Something was different about him. God's hand was on him. Because they saw he was no ordinary child, they were not afraid of Pharaoh's edict. Okay, that's the verse in the New Testament that gives us a perspective of why his parents hid him and didn't allow him to be murdered. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Fast forward 40 years. 
Okay, so we see from the very beginning, Moses is different. He's rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, and he grows up for 40 years in Pharaoh's house. Okay, one of the reasons Moses needed to grow up in Pharaoh's home, Pharaoh at the time was the greatest leader on the earth. Egypt was, was the strongest nation on the earth. So Moses grew up for 40 years learning principles inside of Pharaoh's house that would help him lead God's people out of Pharaoh's power. 40 years, okay? Now watch this, verse 11 of Exodus 2. This message may take absolutely forever tonight and I do not care. If you gotta get up at some point, just leave. It's not gonna bother me, I won't even notice, okay? I am slow rolling my way because this is just way too much fun. Exodus 2, verses 11 and 12. Many years later, 40 years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching. Okay, you, you know there's a term for this, right? I'll show it to you in a sec. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. You know what the term for this murder is? Premeditated murder. This was not just anger flaring up. He knew exactly what he was doing. That's why he looked around to see if anybody was watching. Okay, Moses' life as we see recorded in Exodus 2, begins with being rescued. Incidentally, did you know, the princess named him Moses because Moses means I rescued him out of the water. Don't you think God has a little bit of a divine sense of sarcasm? The man who would stand on the edge of the Red Sea and be rescued from the water all over again. Just, just a little something, just, that's just, it's not even in my notes. Not only, okay, so we see his adult life begins with what? Murder. A terrible, tragic mistake. His life began with a miracle. He was rescued and not murdered. His adult life at 40, begins with a tragic mistake. He intentionally murders someone. But here's what you have to understand when you read the rest of the story of God's relationship with Moses and Moses' relationship with God. Not only was Moses' call from God not ruined by his worst mistake, his friendship with God wasn't ruined either. How? Why? Because perfection is not a prerequisite for intimate partnership with God. You'll never be able to use that excuse with me because now I've told you. Perfection is not a prerequisite for intimate partnership with God. Moses' story as an adult starts with murder. Don't tell me God discards a person after their greatest mistake. Don't tell me God doesn't want to be friends with people who do extremely stupid things. If God could only be friends with humans who never did anything stupid, God wouldn't have any humans as friends. 
I don't even care if you're catching these right now. Once you know this truth, if your worst mistake keeps you from being best friends with God, your worst mistake is really nothing more than your worst excuse. Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Because of Christ, not because of me, because of Christ and my faith in him, I'm personalizing it because that's what I love to do with God's word. It was written to me. It was written to you. Because of Christ and my faith in him, I can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. God's best friends know that the best reason to come boldly into God's presence has everything to do with what Jesus did and nothing to do with anything I've ever done or anything I'll ever do. Because my faith is in the one who never made a mistake when he walked this earth, I can forever come boldly into the presence of the maker of heaven and earth, even after every one of the mistakes I make on this earth. Your mistakes only separate you from your maker if you let them. God's friends aren't perfect, which means they make plenty of mistakes. But God, as the perfect friend, made a way for our mistakes not to ruin our friendship. And his name is Jesus. It's not my behavior. It's not your behavior. It's Jesus. Here's the problem about mistakes and intimate relationship. Many of us have many an example of an intimate relationship like a marriage that was ruined by a mistake. I'm going to try not to look at anybody on purpose right now. And here's why. Because there are marriages in this room that could have been broken because really big mistakes were made in them. But it wasn't just God. It was two people who decided to try and be more like God and not allow our worst mistakes to ruin our intimate fellowship. But because that's what we see on the earth between two imperfect people, we just transpose that onto man's relationship, because man is imperfect, with a perfect God. That when there's a mistake made, it must ruin the relationship. Because clearly, relationships are ruined by mistakes. Not in the kingdom, they're not. Relationships between two imperfect people can be ruined by mistakes. But a relationship involving at least one who is perfect will never be ruined by mistakes made by the imperfect one in the relationship. Intimacy with God can be affected by, but never ruined by, the mistakes of imperfect man. Because his son was the perfect man who died for the imperfect man so that the imperfect man could be best friends with the perfect God. 
Again, I don't care if you're not excited about this. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life talking about this. This is too good to be true. I haven't had caffeine since 6.34 this morning. So do not think in your little brain, Preston must have had a Red Bull before he walked out here. No! Preston got a revelation that the God of the universe has gone through all of this so that I could be best friends with him. So forgive me if I get a little excited. Point number two. 12 minutes in. We're doing all right. Not too bad. <laughs> Point number two. I need to take a breath. The second thing Moses teaches us about friendship with God is this. God's friends spend extended time in his presence. And this is where I might step on a few toes, but it's not, I'm not taking shots at anybody. I'm trying to extend an open-ended invitation to you from the God of the universe to spend more time with him. Exodus chapter 20, if you were in chapter two, and I want you to turn, I really hope you bring your Bible. I know some of you use your phone, but let's just be a church that does both, phone and old school Bible, because there's just something about holding that page and highlighting on that page. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18. It says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, the people stood at a distance. Okay, catch that phrase right there. God's presence shows up, and the people willingly choose to keep their distance from his presence. But not all the people. They stood at a distance, trembling with fear, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning as the people stood in the distance. One person closed the distance. Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. The people were like, no, 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 this is too much for me. I can't handle all this stuff. So why don't you personally talk to God, and if he ever tells you anything for us, just come tell us, and we'll do whatever you say. Can I, can I out the person in my position, please? Just go on record. I, I do this every once in a while. Can I, can I out myself and the person in this position as senior pastor? God never wanted to have relationship with you by going through me. Never, ever, ever. You know how silly that would be? I get under the old covenant, there's a way things worked. But under the new covenant, there's a way things work. 
Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is. I already read it to you. Now I can come boldly into the presence of God because of Jesus. So the only person I have to go through to get to God is Jesus, right? Let's just transpose this onto human relationship. What kind of a marriage would I have if the only way to have relationship with Holly was to go through one of you? Can you even imagine what date night would be like? Hey, would you please tell Holly that she looks really good tonight? And then you say, and if you're a man, it would go like this. You look really good tonight. I would hit you in the back of the head. Because what I said was, tell her I said she looks good tonight. But this would get wonky really fast, would it not? Hey, this is why the veil was torn. Because God never wants to spend date night with anybody talking through a third party. He just wants to go directly to you and for you to be able to come directly to him. Again, this is why I'm so riled up without any caffeine. If we want it, this can be our normal. But it's a choice. Yes, a choice. Moses says, fine, y'all can stay distant, but I, for one, will not. I'm going in. Even if it kills me, I'm going into that dark cloud. Too many of God's people are okay with relational distance with God, whereas every single one of God's friends shares something in common. The number one thing which frustrates them most is when God even seems distant, let alone is. I'm not sure anyone can ever actually be friends with God when they're comfortable with separation from God, distance from God. His closest friends want to come closest to him. The only reason any child of God is ever distant from God is because they choose to be. Not because that's how he wants it to be. Drawing near to God is your choice. Being near to you is God's response. Let me show it to you. James 4 verse 8. Draw near to God. That comes first. And he will draw near to you. There's the response. I make the choice. He makes his response. Psalm 145 verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. There's the choice. And you see his response. He is near. But God doesn't just want to draw near, and he doesn't just want you to draw near. He wants you to be so near that you dwell. The word dwell in Hebrew means to live as a resident. Never seen this before. Get the picture of the desire of God's heart for intimate fellowship with you. The God of the universe wants you to live as a resident of his presence. Where do you live? Where are you from? <laughs> you know what God's heart says? 
Preston, I want your answer to be, you live in my presence. Why does scripture say pray without ceasing? Because prayer is the most intimate form of communication between man and God. That's God's heart communicating to each of us saying, I want to be with you and speak with you so much so that I never want it to stop. Again, you're going to have to help me why we don't do more of it. On his end, he never wants it to stop. On our end, we say, I'm shooting for five minutes a day. Again, not taking any shots. Not taking any shots. But I just want to ask a very simple question if you're married. If you only spent five minutes a day, four days a week with your spouse, what would your marriage look like? Case closed. Listen, if five minutes is all someone can do, okay, great. But five minutes should not even be the appetizer. It should be the water before the bread even comes. Preston, I don't have that kind of time. Are you breathing? Then you have time. A better way to say it is, I choose to spend my time doing other things. I'm talking to me, not just you. God wants extended time with his friends. Look in Exodus 24. I'll show you one of the extended moments Moses spends with his friend and God spends with his friend Moses. Exodus 24, verse 15. Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. Interesting. So the cloud was there for six days. His presence was present for six days. But it appears as though he didn't start talking until the seventh day. I wonder if he slid that in there for those of us who after about six minutes alone with the Lord say, I'm just not hearing him say anything. Moses goes six days. And on that seventh day, God called out to him. Sometimes we just have to be willing enough to be patient. To not leave. Even when we feel like nothing is happening. Let's apply this to marriage. Men. Have you ever been sitting on the couch? watching a Hallmark movie with your wife, and you feel like nothing is happening. <laughs> nothing is happening until the movie is over. And then something happens. She feels closer. You weren't even talking during the movie. I just did something she wanted me to do with her. Which once it was over, it led to conversation because I had created time. See, one of the reasons we just don't consistently hear God's voice, I think, is because we don't consistently make enough time. Watch this. Moses climbs up. Day seven, 
God calls out to Moses from inside the cloud. Verse 17, to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Can you imagine the spectacle this must have been? Then Moses appeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He disappeared into the cloud. Watch this. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. You know, one of the reasons we don't spend extended time alone with the Lord is because we allow distractions. Like a phone that rings. A text that dings. A four-alarm fire that we get drawn into. Forty days and forty nights. Two elements of intimacy as it relates to time. Consistent time and extended time. It's impossible to be best friends with anyone you don't spend consistent time and extended time with. The beginning of intimacy is consistency. Start by being consistent in your time with the Lord, even if it's just five minutes every day. Start by being consistent, no matter how long. Then work on extending the time because the depth of intimacy is found during extended time together. This is why dates don't last 90 seconds. Because we need 90 minutes sometimes to find that rhythm, to find that flow. Tons of stuff going on. And if you measured a date by the first 90 seconds, a lot of them wouldn't be awesome. Give it your all for 90 minutes. No telling what happened. But we can't rush. And the evidence of not rushing is extended time together. God's heart for his friends is not to just see them. His heart is to dwell with them. Get ready to catch this little one right here. Why do you think eternity is forever? Let me say it like this. That God is Emmanuel shows he is the God who longs to dwell with us. That God is eternal shows us just how long he wants to be Emmanuel. He is the eternal Emmanuel. He is the God who wants to spend forever being with us. What? He is God with us. One of my favorite names for him. But when you partner that with one of his attributes, the eternality of God, he is eternal. When you put both of them together, he is making this statement. Here's how badly I want to dwell with you. I'm only willing to do it forever. I'm the eternal Emmanuel. God who longs to spend forever being with us. Can you imagine what a shot to his heart? Him wanting to spend forever with me. And when he says, Preston, come away with me just for 15 minutes. 
And I say no. He's the God who longs to spend forever with me. Can you imagine how hurt his heart is when I choose to say no when he wants to do it for half an hour? I need you to see the danger. I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to do this tomorrow, but it's Saturday night. We ain't got nothing but time. I need you to see how dangerous it can be choosing not to ever spend extended time alone with the Lord. To only go the four-minute devotional route. Again, not saying there's anything inherently bad with that, but that's how we start. That was never meant to be the way we finish. And it is most certainly not the path to intimacy. I'm not preaching like I spend four hours a day with the Lord, okay? Are there some days? Yes. Is it every day? Heck no. No, so please don't think I'm saying, I am not coming like this. I am speaking to me as much or more than I am to you. When a lack of time is spent with God, you'll eventually fill your time replacing God. Let me show it to you. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people, remember, Moses is up on that hill. Home's been gone for 40 days, not even 40 days at this point. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, because remember, they had pawned off hearing God to Moses. So they were frustrated because they, won, they, they, they sent a way to hear from God to come back and speak on behalf of God was taking too long to come back. So they're frustrated. When the people see how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. Since they're doing nothing. Interestingly enough, people who don't spend very much time alone with God actually deep down don't really think it amounts to doing much with God. Make us some gods who will lead. They're not doing anything up there. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Remember what they ended up doing? What do they do next? Golden calf. Which led to their downfall and their ability to go into the land of the promise. I'm not trying to tell you every day of your life you need to spend three hours alone with the Lord. All I'm trying to say, without ceasing, means just to involve him constantly. Doesn't mean you have to go into your prayer closet six hours a day. I will tell you, from experience, it is a little bit easier to focus when you do. I don't go into my prayer closet because there's something inherently better about that location, although I do believe it's special to him because it's special to me. It's just easier to focus than it is in the car on the 101 in traffic. And I've seen some of y'all in traffic, and your tendencies are not always godly. I've seen you in a Costco parking lot before. Don't tell me you're trying to have your quiet time with God when it's that easy to roll down the window and yell out a little something, something. 
40 days Moses spent an extended time alone with the Lord. We're still talking about what the two of them did together, are we not? The product of their time, extended time alone together to this day still hangs in many courtrooms all over this country. Secular courtrooms are still talking about. I know not all of them, but still a number of them are still talking about what the two of them did on that mountain during extended time together. Can you imagine how much heaven might be talking about your extended time and what goes down when you and God stop everything else just to be alone together? Press and average believers don't need to spend as much time with God as you do. Point of clarification. I don't spend the time I spend with the Lord because of my vocation. I spend the time I spend with the Lord because he's my obsession. I don't do this because you pay me to do it. Let me say it another way. This has been my obsession for the better part of the last 30 years. I'm just the smart one who found a way to get paid to do it. (laughs) It ain't because it's my job. I actually took the job because the description said I could do this. I've never made a mistake by choosing to spend more time alone with God. And I can tell you from experience, I've made many a mistake when I choose to spend less time alone with God. Point number three, now we're behind, we're way behind. We're going to have to figure this out. Point number three, God's friends get some of God's greatest promises. Look in Exodus 33, one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. This is a conversation Moses initiates with God, his best friend. Verse 12, one day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Remember we talked about last time that God loves blunt honesty from his friends. This is pretty blunt. Moses had an awesome gig, and he says, hey, I know it's all awesome. You keep telling me all this awesome stuff, but you're not telling me who's going with me. Watch the Lord's response. This is unbelievable. Verse 14, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. You you, want to talk about the team that's going to help you lead the people into the land of the promise? Shut your mouth about the team. Let's start at the top of the food chain. I myself will personally go with you to Scottsdale. And I will give you rest. Another great promise. Everything will be fine for you. Another great promise. Three incredible promises God makes to his friend Moses. God's friends get some of God's greatest promises because they are willing to make some of the greatest promises to God. And this is where we need to talk about the difference between a contract and a covenant. I do this when I marry people. I don't marry that many people anymore. Lord willing, the next a person I marry years from now, because she's in this room, is my oldest child, my only daughter, Riley. 
like five years from now because my wife wants grandkids pretty quick. But one of the things I do when I do a wedding is I talk about the difference between a contract and a covenant. Because if you don't know the difference between the two, you are doomed to fail in my opinion. A contract is a promise with conditions which gives someone the right to break their promise if every condition isn't met. I've never said that at a wedding before. That's the strongest way I've ever felt the Lord say it. I'm going to read it again since it's not on the screen. A contract is a promise with conditions, which gives someone the right to break their promise if every condition isn't met. Quick question, does anyone want to be in a contractual relationship with God based on conditions you must meet? Just checking. It's impossible to have intimacy in a contractual relationship. Notice, the world has moved away from marriage to partnership. Marriage is a covenant till death do us part. Partnership is an agreement to be together until one of us no longer wants to be together. A person with a contractual relationship with God waits for God to do what they want him to do before they do what God wants them to do. A contractual relationship with God is built around unhealthy expectations and ungodly ultimatums. Well, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. But you better do this, because if you don't do this, I'm out. That's a contract. A covenant, on the other hand, is a two-sided promise where death is the only way out. The word covenant in the Hebrew comes from a root word which means to cut. I get asked every once in a while, why did you call it the leader's cut? I just told you why. Because we were meant to be a people of the cut. That's what covenant is. You cut a covenant with one you love. Covenant is a binding alliance between two friends. Cancel culture is the absolute antithesis of covenant culture. Do a study of God's best friends, and you will see failures in all of them. I'm not understanding why the church is being so quick to cancel. I, I know we have to, to bring consequence when mistakes are made in the house of the Lord. I totally get that. And I don't want to minimize what a big deal it is to make sinful mistakes in the house of the Lord, especially when representing the Lord in vocational ministry. I totally get it. Question, did God cancel any of his friends after their worst mistake? I know in our right minds, it seems like the right thing to do when someone does something we disagree with or we think is wrong to just say, off with their head. Whereas I think the God of the universe looks at the person is repentant and has a humble heart and says, out with the blood. That is not how God talks. Off with their head. You know how many mistakes I have made in this job? 
If perfection is a prerequisite to walk with God, let alone speak on his behalf, then none of us are qualified. And again, I'm not trying to say, well, then we should all just be sinful and make a bunch of mistakes. I'm not. Please hear my heart. I'm just saying you need to understand I'm a man in process, and so is every other man and woman in ministry. I'm not excusing stupidity. I'm just reminding us all of humanity. So if I do something stupid at any point that is sinful in the eyes of God and the elders, I expect to be benched for a period of time. But does it mean I can never? Does it mean someone can never do this again? Like I get if someone's in unrepentant sin, that's a whole nother issue. But if someone falls on the sword at the feet of Jesus and says, I was stupid. I'm not just talking about affairs and big things like that. I'm talking about misspeaking. Saying something you shouldn't have. And we be canceling people all the time over a sentence. Then I guess God doesn't get the last word if we cut people off after one sentence. You can never have intimacy with God if you somewhere deep down withhold the right to walk away from the relationship. Some of God's best friends got to see some of God's best promises. And it's because they made some of the greatest promises to him. You have to decide up front as it relates to your personal relationship with God. It's either a forever and always, no matter what kind of love on both sides. Or it's a, I'll love you until you don't meet my expectations kind of love. Here's point number four. Fourth thing Moses teaches us about friendship with God. God's friends would rather have God's presence than God's promises. Exodus 33, verse 15. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Interestingly enough, I hope you hear this the right way. I did this silly podcast with my best friend, like in January. I referenced this passage and something like six plus million people have watched it. Want to know why? It ain't because the person talking was a good communicator. Because if you find that clip, I actually misspoke, used bad improper English multiple times in 90 seconds. I think God did it on purpose. Preston is a donkey, but my word is true. And all I was doing was referring to this moment between two best friends. Remember, God just said to Moses, here are three promises. I promise I personally will go with you and I'll give you rest and everything will go fine for you. Awesome promises, right? Watch what happens next, verse 15. Moses says, whoa, 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 whoa. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Some of the best words ever spoken in scripture by a human, in my opinion. 
how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Moses says, he just got promised three great things. And he drills down on one of them and he goes, wait, if you don't personally go, I ain't going anywhere. You choose not to go, so don't ask me to. I will not go anywhere you don't go because my addiction is your presence because I'm a people of your presence. Moses had experienced the intimacy of fellowship with the God of the universe. God spoke to him face to face as with a friend. And he drew a line in the sand and said, I don't care about the promises when compared to how much I care about your presence. If you make me choose, give me your presence. I don't need no promises. When you prize God's presence, you'll always enjoy a litany of God's promises. But when you prioritize God's promises, you'll rarely enjoy God's presence. Because if he doesn't do everything you want him to do, you won't want to spend time with him. But you promised. Yeah, but I didn't tell you when. I'd fulfill it. The closer God is to you, the less you care about how close you are to God's promise. Now let me read you the end of Moses' life. We started at the beginning of his life. We'll fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you want to see it in your own Bible, I think it is an absolutely remarkable moment in humanity, not just in their friendship. Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 6. I know I've gone long. I so appreciate you being so patient. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo because God had told him to. It was time to go up to Mount Nebo because he was going to die. He went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho, the first city they would take. And the Lord showed Moses the whole land, from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land. I promised an oath, on oath, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. Watch verse 6, please. And the Lord buried him. The Lord buried him. He buried his best friend in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day, no one knows the exact place. I just need you to see the picture of this because if you're someone 
who over-prioritizes the promises of God at the expense of his presence, you kind of issue a, an impure ultimatum. Well, I'll spend more time with you once you do this in my timing. At the end of his life, God takes Moses up to the top of a tall peak, overlooking the land of the promise that God's people were about to go into. For the last 40 years of Moses' life, the very next verse tells us, he died at 120, 40 years in Pharaoh's house, 40 years in Midian with his father-in-law, and 40 years, his last 40, leading God's people to the land of the promise. His whole life was about leading the people of God to the land God had promised to give to his people. I want you to see this. At the end of his life, God says, There's the promise. That's the land I promised. But you're not going to get to go in. And one of the first things I'm going to do when I get to heaven, I'm going to chase Moses down. I know I'm going to go after Jesus. But I want to chase Moses down and I want to ask him one question. because it's not recorded. How did you respond when God told you you weren't going to get to go into the promise? Because I will bet everything to my name that when God letting Moses see, there's the promise. And because of your mistake, your disobedience to me, I didn't remove myself from you, but I removed your ability to go into the promise. At the end of your life, I wonder if Moses, when God said that, now bet everything to my name that he did something like this. I wonder if he broke down weeping. And said, I don't care. I don't care that I didn't get to go in. I got you. You gave a part of yourself to me in a way nobody during my lifetime got to experience. You think at the end of my life I'm going to measure my life based on the promises I got to experience? I measure my life off of your presence. Preston, why are you crying about this? Because at the exact same time that I'm teaching on this, I feel the Lord saying to me, what if it never happens in this church during your lifetime? What if my plan is to do it through the one I have you raise up? I want to be able to look him in the eyes and say, I don't care. 
I got you. Maybe that didn't get to happen during my lifetime. But I got you. And I'm about to close my eyes, just like Moses. When I open them, nothing is going to come between you and me ever again. So in this moment, seeing the land of the promise, but not getting to go in, but standing next to you when you could be standing next to anyone else. I think Moses might have said something like this to his best friend. I'm not even thinking that I lost. Because of you. And getting to be best friends with you. I won.